0: Morgan's drinking, she's checking the goalkeeper! Off the post and in. The pay disparity between the men and women is, is just too large, and, and we want to continue to fight. Uh, the generation of players before us fought, and now it's our job to, to keep on fighting. The pay cap
1: for the women's Major League Soccer players is 11 times less than the pay cap for men's Major League Soccer. 11 times.
0: Rapino gets across You are
2: listening to Give and Go with Rotas Wadera only on Girls Soccer Network. Hello and welcome. You are listening to episode 62 of Give and Go. I'm your host, Rotas Wadera, and thank you so so much for making the choice to listen to us at Girls Soccer Network. We are so greatly appreciative of all of your love and support. And again, for all of the latest and greatest news, analysis, lifestyle pieces, everything related to the world of women's soccer, we have got you covered. Go to www.girlsoccernetwork.com. Check us out on Instagram at Girl Network or on Twitter at Girls Soccer Net. And, of course, if you want to give me a follow, check me out. Just search the name R-O-H-T-A-S on Instagram. It'll come up. My username is RowanDatas25, R-O-W-I-N-D-A-T-A-S-25. All right. Again, if you have any feedback for us, anything to help us improve, drop us a review, whatever we can do to get better, we're looking to do that. So please help us out and again thank you so so much for your support all right we've got a jam-packed episode today there's so much going on between the nwsl and the world cup but there is even bigger news that we want to get to that's going to kind of be the overall focus of the episode and that's the usl super league which is a new league that the usl has created to be in direct competition with the nwsl which makes it a very interesting proposition because, you know, on the men's side, MLS has the USL, but it's technically the league below uh, the MLS, kind of like a Division II. And that's kind of, I think, what people will initially think about this USL Super League. But no, it is the exact opposite. It is to be in direct competition. They have teams in so many smaller markets that the NWSL just simply is not in right now. Now, you know, the NWSL will have a team coming to the Bay Area called Bay FC, which is going to be a really cool uh, experience, especially with the ownership group that they have, whether it's Leslie Osborne, Brandy Chastain, everyone getting involved there is really going to pour their heart into the club. The Bay Area deserves a team, and that's going to be great. But where the USL Super League is going to thrive is in those smaller markets in places like Pittsburgh, Minnesota, those smaller type cities and towns that are going to have passionate, passionate fan bases that truly care. And so two of the interviews that we're going to have for you today, one is Nicole Lukic, who is the Minnesota Aurora head coach, who is not only the head coach but sporting director of the club, and then we have Sarah Brady, who is the academy director of the USL. So two important figures in that organization, and we're going to get to those interviews in a little bit. But I just just wanted to mention really quick that it is interesting how the NWSL has come out and said that they welcome it and that they are not afraid at all of of what is to come. Now, the USL Super League has confirmed its first group of inaugural markets for its 2024 season. It's supposed to start in August of 2024 with about 10 to 12 clubs. And that would again double the overall total of professional clubs and now there's no guessing on what the you know the level of play will be right off the bat in in this league but it's still huge that it's going to be considered a fully professional league and not semi-professional it will be a fall to spring schedule from august to june aligning with the global calendar and will avoid conflicts with the international breaks as many women's players who play professionally in the US also play for their national teams the NWSL has definitely had that issue, uh, losing players throughout the summer, just like you know, with the World Cup coming up this summer, the league is going to miss out. So the eight Super League teams that have been announced, Charlotte, Dallas, Fort Worth, Lexington, Kentucky, Phoenix, Spokane, Washington, Tampa Bay, Florida, Tucson, and Washington, D.C. So... Again, you'll notice that those are cities that are right in the middle, not necessarily large, large market, but still big enough places to where they're going to be able to draw fans. And then future teams coming include Chattanooga, Indianapolis, Jacksonville, Madison, Wisconsin, and Oakland. So to kind of give you a sneak peek of what this league is going to be like, we have an interview with Nicole Lukic, who has really risen to become one of the best coaches if not the best coach in the USL right now. We got the chance to speak with her. We hope you guys really enjoy this interview. Here it is. We are with uh, Nicole Lukic, who is the head coach and sporting director for Minnesota Aurora FC. Nicole, how are you doing?
1: I'm good. Thanks for having me.
2: How has the convention been for you so far over these last couple days?
1: Well, after I got over my 24-hour travel fiasco, <laughs> uh, the convention itself has been really great. It's always good to connect with people and just see what everyone's up to.
2: And so what can you tell us about Minnesota Aurora for those who don't know about the team and, and the league that you guys play?
1: Yeah, Minnesota Aurora FC is a W team. Um, we're based out of... St. Paul, Minneapolis, Twin Cities up in Minnesota. We are a community owned team, which makes us really special because we have over three thousand owners. Wow. Um let's see, we were in the final for the USLW last year. About to uh go into our second season here, so we're just really excited.
2: And now that you were the head coach you've also been promoted to sporting director what do you envision for this club and moving forward
1: that's a good question um, I think the opportunities for us are endless we're doing a lot of things that a lot of different groups um, haven't done before so we're really interested in just continuing to push the ceiling on women's soccer. Um, Last year we sold out a lot of our home games. You know, how can we get more seats there? We're excited to go back to TCO, Viking Stadium, um, bringing in different aspects off the field for our players to continue to develop them not only in soccer, but their professional pathways if they're in school and whatnot. Um, A lot of our players have... High goals to become professional players. So, how can we make sure we're setting them up to do that once their time with us or their time at their collegiate uh, teams are over? So, just keep keep growing, keep building. We've only got one year under our belt, so I'm excited to see what comes for the future.
0: You know, I'm really interested in being a college player myself. I've played in multiple different summer leagues. I've played for the WPSL, and I actually was also in the W League last
1: year, of course not playing with Minnesota Aurora. And it's really unique how you guys have framed Minnesota Aurora in the sense of, you know, a lot of summer leagues for college players are have the idea of staying in shape, staying around a ball, and playing soccer. And you guys
0: have grown into this big team and community. And how did you guys kind of come up with that, and how did you do it?
1: That's a good question. And I don't know how many secrets I can give away. (laughs) I'm kidding. Um, Well, the the community ownership that I talked about before, I think, really made us unique in a sense that we immediately had all these people connected to this team before there was even a roster. Um, And the the Twin Cities area is really a, a proven area of supporting women's sports we have WNBA um, hockey we even have semi-pro women's football so it's a community that wants to invest in women's sports which I think is a really important piece to who we are but what was the question again <laughs> just like the group you know I know a couple girls that have been on your team and they all seem to have, like, what makes it a little bit different yeah yeah Um, I was talking to somebody else about this I mean we as a as a staff we wanted to provide a different experience because there are a lot of different opportunities for women in the summer like you mentioned Um, and I think a lot of those like you said are just stay in shape touch the ball which is great for those that want that but I really believed um, that there was this other group of players that wanted more of a true season, wanted to invest in themselves, uh, and I think we did a really good job in 22 of finding the right players with the mindset that I want to be a professional or I have goals to play more minutes in college or you know be a first team all conference player, whatever it was. They had this mindset that they were really invested in themselves which I think made our training environment really special every day. And we did stuff as a team six out of seven days of the week, which I think is different than a lot of those other summer teams. Um, so finding that player with the right mindset, I think really made a difference for us. And how did you find those players? Now, the one
0: unique thing about your roster last
1: year is you did have a good amount out of Minnesota, but by far not all of them are from Minnesota at all. Yeah. So how are you able to track down all those players and get the right group? So we were about, I think, 50-50 with Minnesota and then housing the the other 50% of the team. Um, Last year we did two tryouts, and I think we got four players from that. Uh, Then outside of that, it was a lot of myself and my first assistant, Jenny Clark, using our contacts within the college game, talking to a lot of different players, watching a, a lot of different film. Um, but the big thing was definitely talking to players and getting to know them a little bit. Are they going to be a good fit for our culture? And could they see the vision that we wanted to create at Minnesota Aurora FC before we had sell, sellout crowds mm-hmm. and playoff games and all that nice stuff that came later? So a big credit to everyone who said yes to the 22 roster because they really helped us lay a foundation for something special at Minnesota Aurora.
2: And, you know, you've, you just talked about building and your co-founder has referred to you as a builder. So what is it about starting something from the ground up like you have that you enjoy so
0: much?
1: It's just really a challenge. It's almost like a puzzle. There's all these different pieces and parts to solve and try to connect. I I would say that I'm a builder. I think that is one of my favorite things that I've kind of learned over the past years is how to put those pieces together. and to see something, just you know, myself, Jenny, and Jen last year, we were hired in December, which was not that much time to start in May. Um, so we grinded a lot out in those first five months. We had zero players on the roster at the time. We didn't even have a name. We didn't have a logo. We didn't have a stadium. We had nothing. So to go from nothing in December to signing a contract as a coach to championship game in July. Um, it's just, and then like reflecting in August, like how cool was that? We we got a lot of pieces together in a short amount of time, and now it's how can we continue to build? What did we have to kind of blow off in year one because we had no time for? Like we didn't have any technology on the sidelines or anything like that. So now we're excited because we're gonna have some video involved next year and little things like that that hopefully just continue to professionalize our environment. Um, but yeah, building is fun.
2: Awesome, and having more women's coaches in general is something that you're passionate about. And what are some things you think can be done to make sure that we have more women's um, co- coaches in the future?
1: That's a big question, and a question I get often that I'm—I should probably figure out the answer to. Um, but I just try to do my part, which is you know talk to players about coaching if I think. We're coming to a a time where maybe coaching seems like an option to people, where it wasn't so much before. Um, I was fortunate that I had a lot of people in my coaching mentor space kind of drag me along and tell me what to do and encourage me to keep going. So I try to do my part in that, and when I see someone's interested in coaching, um, how can I feed that excitement and be a mentor, be supportive? I would love to this year, I don't know if we're going to swing it, maybe it's a 24 thing, but I'd love to like have the Minnesota Roar players like, do a grass grassroots license course and get them started so maybe they're not thinking about it, but after they do that course, maybe they are thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just think it's important that if you have, especially a young female in your soccer environment, that you're reaching out, asking for help, Are asking if they need help and just doing whatever you can to support that female coach because sometimes they might be the only one in a club and that can feel lonely at times and Mm -hmm. some people are good at that and some people aren't. So the more you can connect and just reach out and I think that's a good start.
2: Absolutely. And in terms of like your timeline of your career, you've come very far from the club ranks to now USL in – So, how would you describe what that experience has been like to go through the ranks as you have in in such a short amount of time?
1: Yeah, it's uh, been interesting, it's been, I've just kind of been saying yes to as many things as I could from when I started and just grinding things out basically. which I think is great because it's given me a skill set to be successful on the field, but also off the field, um, which is a part of my job that I like a lot. I know some coaches don't enjoy like the office, administrative, organizational part of the job, but I really do. Um, and I think it's because I've been able to just say yes to things that I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'll mm-hmm. figure it out. And I've <laughs> had those supportive people in my life that have helped me and have guided me through that. So. Yeah, it's, it's been a lot, but um, you know, I, I finished my A license in 2021, which I was really excited to get to that moment. Um, you know, those courses are a lot of work, but mm-hmm. I think they've definitely paid off for me and, and taught me things that self-awarement of different things. I coach; it's it's crazy. Before I started coaching uh, Aurora, my last team that I coached was the U14 boys team. Um, so that was quite an unusual jump I would say where uh-huh. most people probably would have come from like the college world or an 1819 girls team um, but I've you know I've been around that it's just that it was just interesting to go from that to the that it's so different but also not that different um, so yeah just a all different kind of experiences that somehow have led me here and now i'm just fortunate and enjoying the ride
2: and now that you're in the usl you're looking to stay and really build something now with minnesota right you're not looking to go anywhere maybe <laughs> move up some more end up in, in the NWSL as an assistant or something like that the college level do those things interest you how do you feel about that stuff
1: Yeah, I don't really know, to be honest. This is another one of those questions that I should probably learn the answer (laughs) to. Um, So far, it's worked out for me that my next thing just comes to me, and I just feel it's right. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, like two years ago, I thought, okay, I should probably decide, do I want to be on the field? Do I want to, like, shoot for the moon with coaching? or is, like, being the general manager of an NWSL team the way I want to go. And now I'm back in a role again where I'm on both sides still, so Mm -hmm. I'm finding success and enjoying, you know, things on both sides. So I still don't know. Um, I'm really excited to be with Minnesota Aurora for 2023, and that's where my head is at right now. But it'll be interesting to see down the road where I end up. I mean, obviously, 2022, brought Minnesota, Aurora, so many amazing things. What are you hoping 2023 breaks? More amazing things. (laughs) Um, Well, the league's growing, so that's automatically going to make it back to the final game uh, more challenging. I think the USLW League has added 20-plus teams last year at 44. I think it's at 65 and counting maybe right now. Mm -hmm. Um, which is exciting more players more teams um, our division is changing a little bit um, so I don't know I don't like to set too many goals without getting the players together because it's really their experience it's their team um, but I like to think we're recruiting players that want to make it back to the final game um, but other than that out, out of the field I um, I'd like to be able to help them more with, like, internships. We have a great front office staff. Like, how can we tie that in for them? And I've been working on trying to make more connections for the team so that when those players are at that time where they do want to go pro, how can I better connect them to that world? So things like that. Um, Hopefully more sellout crowds because that just makes our space really unique Mm -hmm. and our fans are the best, and I'm excited to be back with them. Now,
2: it's important to delineate that this league is the USLW League. So this is like the perfect precursor to the Super League that is now coming out. So the W League is a pre-professional women's soccer league in the United States, which began play in 2022. And that's where we really got to see Minnesota Aurora FC really take over as the premier club in the division. When you hear her talking about selling out crowds and having an incredible atmosphere, that's kind of what this is about. The fact that a smaller market team can have something that is their own, something that they can cherish and and build their own culture around. So it's an exciting proposition. Who knows? Maybe Nicole Lukic could end up coaching in the USL Super League one day. But, you know, the way that, this women's soccer market has exploded in terms of attendance. We're finally starting to see it in the NWSL, but the USLW League was there first in terms of being able to sell out their stadiums and get getting people to come to games and making it a fun overall experience. And I think that's what everyone in the women's soccer space is starting to learn, is like the better the experience is, the more fans we're going to get to be able to show up. To games, So that's what's ultimately the crux of all of this is if that happens, the more people you can get in the seats, the more money that can be made, the bigger this thing grows. And I know I hate to boil it down to, to just money, but that's honestly how this is going to work. And it's the biggest reason why the other leagues failed in spite of all the incredible players and coaches and teams that existed in, in the past. Even, you know, you go back to a team like the Boston Breakers. uh, That is one of the more iconic clubs that is a part of women's soccer history. Uh, They're gone now. And a lot of that had to do with with money issues. So, you know, that ultimately is the most important thing. And between the W League and the USL Super League, so the pre-professional league and the professional league, both both leagues are essentially going to feed into each other and it's really going to be a huge opportunity for the usl to expand and really compete with the nwsl because this system that they have is entirely different from the nwsl and like i said earlier on the men's side the mls never had to compete with the usl there's a lot of great usl teams On the men's side that have so much culture and history and also have incredible fan bases and you're seeing that carry over on the women's side as well so beware in WSL they've been saying that they're not really that worried and it's great for the women's game but uh, this could really eat into the market that they're trying to build which it'll be interesting to see how it's impacted you know down the line all right the world cup is right around the corner we definitely do not want to keep you waiting on talking about some of that stuff some important news katarina macario i do not think will be getting to the world cup and neither will becky Sauerbrunn. that's a big loss for the united states women's national team as they go for their fifth star Uh, becky Sauerbrunn, i think you know wrote a statement how you know she's just honestly devastated and her timeline and injuries kind of kept her in flux and it just didn't align with the overall schedule of how the U.S. Women's National Team was is doing things to prepare for the World Cup. So she had to sit out and it's a big loss because you're looking at our Captain America, essentially. Uh, she's been as reliable as ever, as steady as ever in spite of the injuries that she has had. So it's going to be a big miss for those women but Naomi Gurma is showing that she's ready to step up. Now, the World Cup is a different animal. It's a way bigger stage than the NWSL. But again, she's played at the youth national team level, so she's been in similar competitions, maybe still not on a, as big of a scale, but expect her to be ready. And this back line is going to look a lot younger Uh, than I think we've seen in years past which is a good and a bad thing they do need to go through this they do need to experience this together so that there's continuity going forward now we did talk about players battling for a spot and we also gave you some roster predictions rosters should be coming out this upcoming week by the time this episode is released there should probably be some news on when the rosters are coming out. So be sure to let us know how we did based on what we predicted. But let's take a look at what the roster should look like. I think top three keepers off the bat, Alyssa Nager is going to go, Casey Murphy should go, and then the third keeper most likely is of Franch, although I think you guys know how much of a fan I am of Aubrey Kingsbury. I think she's probably better, but... Has not gotten the opportunities simply because of how loaded it is at the goalkeeper position. Now moving on to the defensive side of things, whether you have the fullbacks or center backs, we have to take Becky Sarburn out of the equation right away. Naomi Gurma and Alana Cook seem to be entrenched as our center backs, but Tierna Davidson, I think, could be in the mix. Still, She's still working her way back from the ACL injury. We don't know necessarily if we're going to see her, but I think she does make the roster. I don't know if she plays at the World Cup, but I still think she makes the roster. And then you have at fullback Crystal Dunn, which, again, we've talked about many times. is an unfortunate situation. Emily Fox, who has really stepped up as... It's a number one pick who was traded to North Carolina and really hasn't missed a beat there. I'm not quite sure why racing Louisville saw fit to trade your, someone who you drafted uh, number one overall, but hey, to each their own. I mean, Louisville's having a great season in their own right, and we will get into that. But again, I think you have to consider Emily Fox Then Emily Sonnet and Kelly O'Hara rounding out us defensively. And now, even though Sofia Huerta has played as a defender, because her ability to cross the ball and create is so important, she could make the cut with the injury to Becky Sauerbrunn, whether it's her or Turner Davidson, we have yet to see. Moving on to the midfielders, right? I think we have Rose Lavelle, who has been hurt recently. Again, her status could be up in the air, which would be unfortunate. But she's got to be there. She's got to be there. Same with Lindsey Horan is a lock. Andy Sullivan is probably a lock. Julie Ertz playing for Angel City in these last couple games, I think, really indicates that she's going, which is huge for the United States women's national team. So Julie Ertz coming into the picture. Ashley Sanchez is in the mix. No guarantees that she makes the roster, but she will be there. She will be in that final cut of players. And then Taylor Korniak is someone who also has been getting national team call-ups and poses a different problem for defenses should she play. She's a big factor in the midfield in terms of her ability to distribute, but also in the box when it comes to using her height to her advantage and getting her head on the ball. She's been deadly in those areas when given the opportunity. So, midfield wise i think you're pretty set there and then attacking wise a lot of things up in the air we talked about with no mallory swanson sadly missing out but you have sophia smith and trinity rodman i think those two are key pieces right now for the team megan rapino we don't know again because of a knock that she picked up but she should be going lynn williams i hope gets the call She's been playing too well for Gotham right now to not get the called. And Vlatko said that he would, you know, give opportunities to players who have been playing well at the club level. So Lynn Williams deserves that spot. And then Alyssa Thompson is, is kind of that wild card pick because of her speed, because of, again, that wrinkle that she brings to this team. I think Alyssa Thompson could make it as, as a winger. But Sophia Smith and Trinity Rodman are locked in as the other two wingers. Of course, Alex Morgan. She's been doing incredible things since going to San Diego and has really shown that she's ready for, for another World Cup. And then Ashley Hatch, I think, might be getting the nod right behind her to back her up just in case something happens to Alex Morgan because Katarina Macario is not going. Now, to get you ready for the World Cup, We've got a piece up on the site ranking the World Cup groups from the easiest to the group of death. I had a fun time going into this, so let's get into it from, again, easiest to the group of death. Easiest group off the bat is Group G, Sweden, Italy, Argentina, South Africa. Now, Sweden, of course, are the clear-cut favorites to win that group. I don't think they have any trouble doing that. And then you have Italy, who are likely going to be the second team out of the group. Argentina and South Africa have never won a World Cup game in nine tries. So it's going to be an uphill battle. It's great to have them here, but they do not have the World Cup pedigree to advance out of this group with Sweden and Italy. So I think that's about as clear-cut as it gets in Group G, and I think that is probably the easiest group for those two teams. Next up is... Norway, Switzerland, New Zealand, and the Philippines in Group A. Again, Norway is probably going to be the best team out of this group. Ranked 12th. Switzerland have two star players in Ramona Bachmann and Alicia Lehman. But outside of that, they aren't the deepest team. And then you look at New Zealand. This is probably the best chance they're going to have to, one, win a game at the World Cup and also advance out of this group. That New Zealand... Switzerland game is going to determine who comes out of this group, but New Zealand has really struggled uh, in terms of offensive output. They've got a great defensive star in Ali Riley, but Abby Urseg is called it quits. So you're looking at, even though they are hosting this World Cup, it's going to be tough without a player like Urseg to really help anchor that back line alongside Riley. And so you're hopeful that with some home magic that they're going to be able to do it and and beat Switzerland and get out of the group. But it makes it a very easy group, especially with everyone most likely going to beat up on the Philippines, who are, I believe, making their first World Cup appearance. But ultimately, yeah, that makes it the second easiest group in the field. Third is Group E involving the United States. they got a great group with the Netherlands and Portugal. Now it's a banged-up Netherlands side. They still have great players like Danielle van de Dock, Lika Mertens, Sherry De Spitze. They've got great players, but it's not the same without Vivian Miedema, to be quite honest with you. So the United States won't have any trouble getting out of their group. They're going to beat up on Portugal, a team that they've never lost to, and then Vietnam. I'm worried to see what that scoreline is going to be like that's the first game that the united states is playing so that also again makes it a fairly easy group group h is next you have germany south korea colombia and morocco now it's morocco sadly that is bringing down this group ranked 73rd in the world germany again are the clear-cut favorites to come out of this group south korea have some Great players who have been playing in the Premier League in England and have been getting great run. So ji Yun is, again, a superstar. But Colombia. Colombia can pose a threat to South Korea, no doubt. They made it to the round of 16 when Canada hosted back in 2015. They did not qualify in 2019. And I think that makes it an uphill battle for them coming into this World Cup those were the first four groups let's get into the next four where it starts to get a little more towards the middle of the road group c spain and japan costa rica and zambia again i think spain japan and costa rica are three very solid teams costa rica benefits greatly from playing the united states and canada in their region and always playing them tough so i think they're not going to be afraid of what Spain and Japan have to offer. And again, as we know, Spain players have been on strike. Patri is one of the next Barcelona players to say that she's not going to go to the World Cup. So there's a lot of stars missing for Spain. Now, they did overcome that and even defeat the United States in a couple friendlies, which kind of shocked everyone. And no one's really talking about that. So, you know, Jorge Vilda might be able to get Spain to buy in. Right, if you can get a team that is so fully committed to their manager and the style of play, it doesn't matter necessarily, right? The, the level of players that you have, if Spain has enough quality in the team right now, they might not have to worry about that. So you have Spain, Japan, Costa Rica, Japan. We always know is as solid as ever, and I think they might be a dark horse in this competition, especially playing in the region of the world that they are familiar with, with Australia and new zealand so spain japan costa rica zambia again it's great to see them here it's a big deal but they're not going to win a game sadly group d now this is where it gets tough uh england china denmark and haiti haiti again (laughs) is way better than 53rd in the world way way better and if you don't know you're gonna know about how good haiti is when you watch them play now it's just It's unfortunate that they got put in such a tough group with England, with China, with Denmark. But I think Haiti is going to give China some difficulties. It is most likely going to be England and Denmark out of this group. But there are no guarantees. China is a defensive side who could take the points from Denmark. You never know. Haiti, Haiti, though, is the dark horse to get out of this group. No one is talking about them. And they have their young superstar, Melchi Dumourne, who just signed with Lyon, one of the biggest clubs in the world. So you're gonna know about her and some of these players and what they're capable of at this World Cup. They're gonna be so much fun to watch. All right, final two groups. Group B, Canada, Australia, Ireland, Nigeria. This, to me, should be the real group of death. It was not dubbed that by everyone, around the world kind of is the consensus i'm not sure who decides i guess it's the media in general and however it averages out but canada australia ireland and nigeria to me all four teams could get out of the group and if we're basing things off of what ireland did against the united states in those two friendlies they looked good they made it physical that's what they're gonna do. They're, it's gonna be a physical style of play, but Canada and Australia can match that. So can the Nigerians. So this group, to me, is t- totally and completely up for grabs. Even though Australia are the hosts, any one of these four teams can come out of this group. There's stars on every single one of these teams who play at at a big club somewhere or the other. So keep an eye on this group. It's gonna be a fun one. I'm, I would probably take Canada and Australia to get out of this group but the Nigerians are tough and Ireland is also just as tough. And then of course the group of death France, Brazil, Jamaica and Panama. Now I think you look at France and you look at Brazil and you think those are going to be the two clear-cut teams but Panama again also benefits from playing in CONCACAF and so does Jamaica. Now Jamaica's had news recently where they're not happy with the Federation in terms of how things have gone in the lead up to this World Cup, in terms of how things have been organized, preparing and getting ready for that. But this is nothing new, sadly, with some of these countries that do not get the proper backing. And there's certain things that go on within the Federation that aren't right. So these, these women need to be supported as much as possible what the reggae girls have done is nothing short of historic and so khadijah bunny shaw if you again don't know who she is playing for manchester city at one of the best seasons of her career is going to be a player to watch and she's going to give france and brazil fits and i think they know that they're going to be building game plans around her to try and stop her because she is just that good so there it is there's your World Cup groups. It's going to be a great World Cup. We cannot wait. We may or may not do another preview closer to the World Cup, but those are the World Cup groups. Alright, let's take you to our second interview going back to the USL. We had a great conversation with Sarah Brady, the Academy Director, who is essentially in charge of the U-20 levels at the Academy. And she talked about what's going on right now, what her vision is for the future. We are with Sarah Brady, the Academy Director of the USL. Sarah, how are you doing?
0: I am great, thank you. Thank you for inviting me on.
2: So tell us more about your football journey and your path to the USL.
0: Absolutely. So it's a long journey. Uh, So I landed in the US 13 years ago. Um, I was playing, I went up through Everton's Academy. Uh, I played for Liverpool women, so it's a little bit confusing because they're the rival clubs. Liverpool didn't have an academy, I'm putting that on record, so I had to play for Everton's Academy. Uh-huh. Uh, but I'm a Liverpool fan, so I bounced back over to Liverpool. And didn't didn't really make it, unfortunately. You know, body didn't really get me to where my, hopefully, potential was supposed to get me. But, you know, we learn a lot along the way, so uh, I was pretty lucky. Um, as my body broke down, my uh, my coaches were like we have to keep you around because we can see the passion and we can't lose that passion from the game so they just let me do war- the warm-ups and then do the little kids and they were like actually like this is a good fit for you so started to do some licenses and I was coming over to America for one year, just just one year to uh, to see if I liked it and uh, I've been here 13 years later I mean I've, I've gone back and forth obviously in the visa process we, we got to put that on record right <laughs> yeah. so I've been here for 13 years very legally. Um, But essentially, you know, I've come over, I've started at the grassroots level, which I actually think is the best place to start because Europe is very different than the U.S. So I've had such a rich learning experience by starting at that ground level. Um, I've come up through, you know, all the levels in the U.S., all the way through uh, college and back down, across to academy. So my previous role to the USL Academy Director role was with one of our USL clubs. So I was the Girls Academy Director at AC Kineskin, obviously in Connecticut loved it. Um, In the summer there was an opportunity to step into the W League head coach role and the club very graciously extended that to me so of course I was like absolutely anything to help Um, and this role was created um, and I'm very very lucky that they felt that my skill set lends itself best to, to serving in the role so I was already in the ecosystem Uh, which is the best place to be, right? You want people to understand who you are, understand your body, of work, and your character, and then as this role was created, they thought I'd be a good fit, so they reached out, and that's where I am now. (laughs) It all comes together, right?
2: And what are some things you've been able to do that you're proud of, and things that you envision for the future in the USL?
0: Yeah, I mean, hopefully you is plural. Uh, We do everything as a team at the USL. I think that's my favorite thing about the space. It's very collaborative, you know, If whoever was sat in this role is going to do a great job because of the team that we're working within. No one's kind of on an island at the USL. Um, So you know our boys academy program's been going for four years very successfully, uh, built from the ground up by our technical director Liam O'Connell. Liam's actually working with me very closely to make sure that our women's programming is aligned with our men's programming, but the nuances are still embraced. So we don't want different. We definitely don't want the same but we want equitable with nuance. I think that's the the piece that we've always got to get right, and that's the piece that I think us as former coaches, Liam and myself, really understand. You know, equity is about understanding the need of both uh, genders and making sure that we do as much as we can for both to make sure that those players get to fulfill their potential.
2: What divisions do you currently have in your academy, and what are some things uh, you and the USL have been looking into in terms of expansion?
0: That's awesome. I appreciate that question. So our academy is u twenty. so it's supposed to serve as a reserve team experience to our senior team model. So that's either pre-professional. Some of our clubs will basically stop operating at the pre-professional level. They have no ambition or intention to enter their professional space. Um, other clubs, they have they have youth, sorry they have academy pre-professional and see and they have um, prof, uh, then they have professional. So senior team is everything from the summer leagues in the league two and the w league that complement the college game and then the professional game anything under that is what we call our pre-pro right so essentially the academy model being u20 it doesn't conflict with anything else in the space it's not youth it's connected to our senior team environments and the idea behind it is we are creating the bridge across the gap for those youth players those younger players to make it and be able to compete in senior football we've all seen it right the young player who is mega talented mm-hmm. but the jump is too big yeah. playing with women is a very different experience playing with men is a very different experience than playing with girls and boys so what we're trying to do is create that experience where they can transition across in their own steps they don't need to take the giant one so for example you can play in the academy games, in the U20 games as a 19-year-old. But you can train in the senior team environment because the training is actually what's going to get you to the next level. But we can't put you on the senior team full time because you won't play. So we're trying to create this beautiful bridge where train here, play there. And it's very fluid. It could be, okay, you know what, let's give you a chance to play in the senior team because you're being, working hard and let's see how you are. If it's successful maybe we can look at more opportunities if it's not at least the player can now reflect and say i was given a chance i'm not quite there but this is what i learned to take back and then to keep moving forward like i say it's it's incremental small steps that are very individualized to every player's individual development and what i love about it is it's a catch-all you know we can still you get your games it's just appropriate to your current level but the training environment will be all about how you transition to the next level so it's very nuanced, it's very European, um, but it's it's actually not that difficult to understand. You're basically meeting a player where they're at, but also the undercurrent of finding them, well, how do we get to the next step?
2: Do they still practice with their teams as well?
0: Yes, so there's, there's kind of a couple of different ways you can be a USL Academy club. Some clubs will use the USL Academy as an extension to their youth platform. Um, many clubs actually do that, so they'll say, okay, we have the ECNL or we have the Girls', Girls Academy League, but we're going to take kind of the best of all of the teams, so the best 15s, the best 16s, and we're going to put them in this like, varsity model group and they'll play U20 USL Academy. Um, now, they can. The, the reason we call it U20 as well is because we have specific roster rules that are designed around accelerating player development. So you can drop down senior-level players into the 20s. So you can play a 23-year-old, as an overage player and the idea there is it's to develop the younger player. So you don't just drop them down to win the game. Uh, The way I used to do it at AC Connecticut is I had a mega talented 17 year old. She wanted to play in the women's game. Not quite there, but definitely could be. So we played here in the academy with a senior team player to develop that succession plan. So she learned in situ how to operate as as a women's player but with the like the buffer of an academy. So some clubs will use it to do that. Um, some clubs will literally have an affiliate model where they'll pull from multiple clubs. Uh, we have our own unique carding system, so there's no conflict. We want you to play ECNL, it's fantastic. We want you to play Girls Academy League, fantastic. But you're playing age appropriate in those levels. This allows you to say, okay, put all the best together and let's see what happens because talent together does incredible things. And it's also, you know, sometimes it's it's just a good experiment for clubs, you know? This player's killing it here. What does she look like over here? Does her role change when she now has to play with older or younger players? And it's just, it's just such a rich environment for a player's development plan. Players are not one-dimensional. They're people, right, so they can't be. So this is just serving a need in the market that's not there. It's that transition from the youth game into the senior game. And it's not just getting there, it's getting there prepared. It's getting there with some experience that's being very deliberately approached instead of just being like, okay, you've aged out, in you go.
2: (laughs) With how the game has grown in the last five to 10 years, do you feel like there's been a trickle down effect from the NWSL down to the USL in terms of getting the resources and funding and things that you need in order to grow and, and expand?
0: I think whenever the women's game grows, everybody stands to benefit. Um, you know, the transfer fee getting smashed this summer, you know, for over 400,000 rumoured to be. You know, what we need to understand about the American talent pool is it's already there. Our job as, as leaders in the space is to connect it. You know, that I, I walk I've walked on fields in New Jersey, LA, down in Tampa, and I, there's talent is there. They need opportunity. And I think the more kind of emphasis on the women's game, whether it's just fans, whether it's media, whether it's business, you know, more emphasis will provide more opportunity and that talent will emerge. You know, it's, it's everyone's like, if you're good enough, you'll always be found. It's not true. This country is too vast and it's got so many different kind of levels, so many different pathways. And all we want to do is connect the pathways and I think that's something that we can do because we have the top-to-bottom vertical integration. You know, no other platform currently has a men's professional all the way down to academy program and the same on the women's side. That's what we pride ourselves on, but the biggest thing we need to do is collaborate in the space. We're not here to take over. We're not here to say this is better than that. We're here to say this is the reality, but this is how we want to help. Do you get to work with Amanda Mm Vanderbilt? If so, what's that like? Amanda's our president, um, so Amanda leads our women's pathway, um, flanked by Missy Price, Dr. Missy Price, who we all know and love as well, um, Betty Ha, uh, Lisa Payden, there is a team behind Amanda, but Amanda is our fearless leader. Um, did you guys get a chance to, to read the step-up manual, or the document that just came out that basically? gives you our pathway through 2026 no. it's it's giving you the intentional timeline of everything that amanda and her team want to deliver um, in the women's pathway so you know one of the biggest things is and one of the things i love about amanda is she is very brave she's you know she's taken on new frontiers but she's not doing them in the way that she's supposed to in inverted commas she's, she's being innovative she's working with a team of people like we're diverse we come from you know betty came from baseball you know we can learn it off from other sports i come from england missy comes from the college game and um, so you know the diversity of thought is what's allowing us to create this it's not new unique in that we've completely invented it but it's a unique blend of all those skills and, and what we can offer um, but Amanda's brave and she's bold You know she knows what she wants to achieve and she knows how to inspire the team to achieve it um, and just she's a great human right? so yeah. she might be good at her job but she's even better as being a human she's got a good hugger you ever get a chance to hug Amanda Vandervo do it <laughs> oh, great. Great.
2: <laughs> that was Sarah Brady the USL Academy Director and you can just see the passion that she has for what she's doing and the company as a whole is clearly creating a great culture to make people want to work there and then you heard her even at the end talk about the president Amanda Vandevoort and what she's doing and that has clearly carried over to the USL Super League which is why everyone is so excited about it so keep an eye on the USL for the next couple years so this is going to be a fun experiment to see how it competes with the NWSL and will there be TV deals? Will uh, how are sponsorship deals going to work? How are, exactly are they going to cut into the NWSL market? Uh, time will tell. All right. The one thing we haven't talked about yet is the NWSL. Between the regular season and the Challenge Cup, it has been so much fun to watch so many great games. It's it's been interesting to see how the teams that might not be doing well in The league standings are the ones doing the best in the Challenge Cup standings. So it's funny how how it works out. Like we've said many times before, the depth of teams are certainly going to be tested. And right now, we have the North Carolina Courage at the top of the NWSL standings. They are back. Caroline has absolutely taken over absolutely taken over i'm pretty sure she is very clearly at at the top of the golden boot standings right now eight goals to her name two weeks ago she wasn't even in the picture right then she scores a hat trick and then adds two more five goals in the last two weeks has put her ahead of ashley hatch lynn williams sophia smith alex morgan and crystal dunn so if the league isn't careful caroline's going to run away with this golden boot Again, they're at the top. It's a three-way tie right now with the Oil Reign and San Diego Wave. Excuse me, four-way tie with the Washington Spirit as well. Thorns actually fell off their their top perch because they lost in prime time to Orlando. And we talked about this. We previewed it. where well, We talked about what to watch for in match day 11. It was a classic letdown spot after they'd just beaten their rivals in the Oil Reign coming back, everyone's going to kind of doubt Orlando, not sure what they're going to bring to the table, and and the Brazilians took over. So, Adriana looked incredible. Before, you know, we had Marta and Dabinha as the Brazilians taking over now. We have newer players like Adriana and Caroline, who are just playing at such a high level right now. Orlando is 8th in the standings, two spots off the playoffs now. Still five points away, it's still going to take a couple games but this bottom half of the table is starting to play some of the best football right now. So other key games that happened, Angel City sacking Freya Coombe after they were 11th and then turn around and beat the San Diego wave in San Diego. I'll tell you this. My my buddy and I went to the Angel City game when San Diego came to town and they won pretty easily and San Diego fans made the trip down, and one of their traditions is to blow bubbles. And I'll tell you what, it was one of the more enervating things. You know, like, m- most fans will just cheer, be loud, they'll, they'll say certain things, and you almost kind of brush that off. But there was just something about the bubbles <laughs> coming down from the, from the San Diego Wave fans and, like, flying across our faces that really just bothered us it really was not a not a good feeling to to lose in, in a derby matchup like that but we Angel City in the most unlikely of scenarios would get their revenge coming from behind Kristen McNabb for the wave scored a great goal in the first half and based on the run of play it didn't didn't seem right Angel City were doing a great job defensively it was just a great move and a great goal from the wave take nothing away from them But in the second half, they bounce back off a corner kick. Paige Nielsen had the ball come to her, and and she struck the ball well to score. And then M.A. Vignola has been a revelation at the left-back spot where she scored last week. Sadly, in a loss to the Spirit, but this week, scores the game winner in the 88th minute. I couldn't believe it. And, it, and it's funny how it works where sometimes you do need a fresh start. Sometimes you do need a change. And once Freya Kuhn was gone, the team could kind of reset and and get back to it. And you saw that. Sydney LaRue started. So Angel City, things could be trending in the right direction. Shifting over to the Challenge Cup, like I said, there's some shocking results going down. Racing Louisville is 3-0 and in the Challenge Cup. They just beat the Houston Dash, 3-nil, pretty resounding win, and then the Kansas City current are not too far behind them, beating the Chicago Red Stars by a score of four to nil. So you look at the central or the Midwest, that region is is nuts between Louisville, the current Houston Dash and Chicago. Now the West is is loaded. The, between the rain thorns and san diego Wave seven three and three the rain are at the top right now and then the north carolina courage have unimpressively at the top of those standings in the east five points one win and two draws nothing incredible but gotham has a chance to surpass them with their next game coming up against orlando so gotham will be in the mix but again it's just funny to see how things completely shift when we move to the cup as opposed to the league but one thing to also remember Savannah DeMello who I don't think we did mention in terms of breaking into the US Women's National Team also very much deserves that call because she has been incredible for racing Louisville I think an MVP candidate if you were to ask me who should be in the mix now MVP normally goes to best player on the best team but in terms of who is more important who is the most valuable to their team right now savannah de Mello might be the most important player for racing louisville lastly katarina macario is headed to chelsea that was some big news that we definitely didn't want to miss out and you can just tell chelsea are itching still for that champions league trophy they have not been able to get over the hump there are some great teams between leon barcelona and wolfsburg it's just, those are three incredibly tough teams to beat. And so if you're Chelsea, you ha- you're, they're going to keep reloading. I believe Ashley Lawrence is also headed to Chelsea. So they're just really trying to get to that level. And it's going to be so much fun to see if Chelsea can get over the hump. Because Emma Hayes and that group have been so passionate about it. And will they be able to do it in this upcoming season? It's just going to make the Champions League that much more fun. Alrighty, that is all that we have for you today on episode 62 of Give and Go. Thank you guys so, so much for tuning in. As always, go to www.girlssoccernetwork.com. Check us out on Instagram, at Girls Soccer Network, on Twitter, at Girls Soccer Net. And check me out on Instagram. Just search for my first name, Rotas, and you will see it come up. Again, thank you so much for tuning in, listening. We are greatly appreciative. And we will talk See you guys next time. Peace out.